Welcome to Open Hands, a podcast exploring spirituality, mental health, and the space in between. I'm your host and fellow wanderer, Sarah Nickerson. This week, Kate Walsh shares her thoughts on love and grief after having both her parents pass in her 20s. She explores how living in the both and has allowed her to lead a wholehearted life, one that is inclusive of both faith and questioning. Thanks for being here. All right. So Kate, welcome to Open Hands. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So you and I know each other through storytelling, um, which I feel like once you storytell with somebody, you're bonded for life. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's like a very special bond. And then you also do stand-up comedy in your your spare time, uh, which is great. I've actually had the privilege of getting to see you on stage, and you're actually one of the few people I've seen live that I actually laugh at when I see them. (laughs) It doesn't always happen. (laughs) So I could – I like genuinely laughed when I saw your set, which is like, you know, not always the case. But if you want, just like share a little bit about yourself and then we can get into what it is you want to talk about today. Cool. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. And I also think back there in our friendship, you also wouldn't let me not be your friend. (laughs) I wouldn't. (laughs) I stalked you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I loved it because I was like, oh, wow, like this is so flattering. Like someone <laughs> really wants to be my friend. Okay, this is great. Yeah. You and I were on a storytelling show for, for graduates of our great teacher and then reconnected at another event um, not that long after. And it was like, all right, boom, let's let's be friends. And yeah. all of a sudden we were like going to storytelling shows together. I was like, this is phenomenal. And, and there really is a sense of community in that world that I really love. Yeah, it's exactly. so nice to be able to meet people that way. Oh, well, pre-COVID times. We'll get back. We'll get back. I know. There. I hope so. Yeah. So um, I think you've mentioned a good bit. I'm a, I dabble in storytelling and, and stand-up and love improv. And when we're in person, get to teach it. And I've done just a little bit of, of teaching online as well. Um, and that's just my creative, passionate side. And then I'm yeah. for work, I work in the nonprofit field, which I dearly, dearly love. And my own personal goal lately has been to see how I can connect those two pieces of my life that I think sometimes I make very dichotomous, but connect them in a a better and a deeper way. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, you started, um, like what exactly is it that you do through your job? I know you had told me a little bit about it before. Yeah. It's, it's a, complicated world and a mix, but I dearly love it. So I work with um, faith-based investors and getting to help them um, realize their values in their investments. Um, So cool. Yeah. So strategizing. And this came from previously, I had done work with faith-based communities um, with shareholder advocacy. So going to large Fortune 500 companies in which they own stock um, and speaking to them on a wide variety of, of issues. Um, so I used to always say it was, and it was my first job, which was incredible, um, yeah. but it was social justice on the systemic change level. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That must have also been very like uh, rewarding work for you as well. It was. It was incredible. I couldn't believe at the time I was in my early 20s and, you know, I'd be sitting down. I had 
a couple of, of meetings with Lloyd Blankfein, who's the CEO or was the CEO at the time of Goldman Sachs. Um, wow. And it was just surreal. And we would be in the what is now their tower as they were building the new Freedom Tower. We were able to see into the wow. pit. Um, so yeah, just a completely surreal world. And I worked for nuns, my first two jobs. Um, I love that. Sisters. <laughs> Yeah. Um, actually, I was taking a, a stand-up writing class the other day, and uh, somehow that came up. And someone was like, "Wait, excuse me, you need to write stand-up about that." And it's it's always funny what we forget as or we view as normal in our own lives because it's right. our own story and history. Um, right. I mean, also, and this will tag nicely into what we're going to chat about. But in my stand-up that I'm writing right now, I was also focusing on at one point how. Um, I was trying to find an easy way to say that my mom had died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you really don't want to. Storytelling is so different than stand-up. You don't want to isolate or make your uh, audience uncomfortable in a way that uh, you kind of can't come back from. And mm. loss, I feel like there is that separation. So I end up just being like, my mom's dead. It's fine. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I think like even when we met, yeah. I feel like you like talked about it pretty yeah you're just like yep they're both dead like that's you know that's what happened and you know no need to dwell on it let's just keep it moving it's so hard and that's absolutely like a a defense um I hate that I'm saying that in my stand I get it yeah I'm too I'm too much of a newbie to know how to to change out of it because I'm like of course it's not okay of course it's not Mm. you know great that I'm up here and talking about my dating life and my dead mom and how I wish she was here but whoops that's the storytelling version of this (laughs) I'm not trying to make people laugh side so yeah wow what you know and I don't know if this was the story that you wanted to focus on but I know you had mentioned that um the day after you had buried your mom you had gone to a tra- like a trampoline. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually the day of. So um, I I am the youngest of two girls. Um, my mom and my dad uh, were wonderful, great people. I lived a pretty sheltered life here in New Jersey mm. growing up. Um, and the like super baby of my family, because all of my cousins are more than 15 years plus older than me. Um, so really the baby of the family. And when I was in Syracuse doing a year of volunteer, um, service work after my graduation, I, um, so I was living in Syracuse. My parents were here in the New Jersey area. And I remember chatting with my dad and finding out that my mom had been diagnosed with minor cognitive impairment, which Mm. oftentimes is a, is a precursor to Alzheimer's. And my sister and I were actually reflecting about that this week because she and I um, went out for dinners outdoors this week when it was warm. And she said, really? Like, really? It was it was that year? She was like, I thought it was so much later. And I wow. was able to say, no, it was, it was there because I worked in a medical clinic for people without insurance. And I was speaking. I remember asking some of the doctors I was friendly with, you know, what can you tell me about this? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I was 23 when she got that diagnosis and unfortunately we weren't super surprised because her mother had Alzheimer's and and died from complications of it. Wow. Wow. And her, I believe both of her grandmothers had it because it, it was present on both sides of her family. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, 
so fast forward. So that was mm, 2008. Um, my mom progressed uh, losing different faculties. Um, she had what was or what's referred to as early onset Alzheimer's. So it's normally you get that diagnosis if you're under the age of 65. She okay. was just right there. Um, wow. They still classified it as that. Um, and it was tough because so my sister and I ended up both moving back home uh, to New Jersey and actually moving back in with our parents. And my sister's older, um, mm. sort of struggling with, do we move out? Do we not? Right. Is this the best way to be helpful? Also, yeah. navigating being adult children. <laughs> yeah, I can um, imagine that must have been tough. Yeah, yeah. It was, oh gosh, those were not some great moments at times. Um, mm. But but through it all, you know, we, we had my mom and we, we had moments and, and humor. I remember there was one time in my parents' kitchen and we were joking about my, my parents and their marriage. And my mom said, well, you know, it's been a good 25 years. And I just started laughing and I looked at her and I said, but mom, you've been married for 28. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, stop, you each tell us which were the three bad years. Let's see if they're the same years. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, and, and certainly in the moments we weren't always able to, to find the humor. It was hard because um, I think our parents were difficult or had a difficult time being super forthright with it um, mm. outside the family. So then it became, well, you know, do our aunts and uncles know and do family members know and what do they know? And um, right. Alzheimer's, especially at that time, was a difficult diagnosis because they certainly don't know until someone is um, deceased, unfortunately, and they can look at the actual brain, but they can make good guesstimates. And I remember my sister and I, a few years later, maybe I was 25 or 26. um, We both were living at home still, but I think within months ended up moving. Um, And we had asked to be in the room with my mom's doctor, her neurologist, and we were able Mm. to get time with just him. And I remember saying flat out to him, you know, look, I'm 25. My sister's 27, 28 what are we looking at? Right. And yeah. he started to do like the typical, you know, well, we can't know. And I said, yeah, I get that. But, but you got to give me something. <laughs> like I, we, we, we are in that very strange, you know, quarter life trying to figure ourselves yeah. out. What do we got? And he said, you know, I, I think in five years, it'll be hard for your mom to live at home. Mm. And that was the first time that a doctor has been sadly right on the money in wow. my family. Um, yeah. So a few years later, I'm in graduate school. So it's, um, 2014, 2013, um, and just heading into my second semester. And I didn't think I was going to continue. I had really struggled for a semester and I had just taken an amazing class in graduate school called moral courage and your purpose. Mm. That Reese like committed me to, I was like, if I could take stuff like this in graduate school, all right, I'm, I'm committed. You can have my money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, my dad had always been super healthy and he retired early. He retired at like age 61 or 62 to take care of my mom because he was younger. And, um, 
he had been having these issues where he couldn't hold a glass. Like I remember him calling, mm. he was chatting about it. He was going to go to some specialist at a, like a hand specialist that her his physician had recommended. Mm. And he used to play tennis and he would whoop my butt. Wow. Like it was the best workout whenever we yeah. played. It was like, I'm dripping in sweat and you're still creaming me. Mm. So he, I get this call from my sister when I'm in, when I'm at school at, at NYU and she said, don't get mad, but you have to come home at dad's at the hospital and they think it's a brain tumor. Oh God. So yeah. So man had driven himself. I will never forget this man had driven himself to like Panera three towns over and <laughs> goes to open the door. He can't get out the door. He like can't um, lift his leg. So yeah. he drives himself home and then calls an ambulance. And I was like, what are you, you know, are you crazy? Yeah, totally logical. And that was just like, oh, dad. And he was like, well, I didn't want you to have to go pick up my car. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for thinking of me. Um, But he was diagnosed then with a high-grade glioblastoma, which is the the same aggressive brain tumor um, Bo Biden and John McCain um, died from. So um, it's incredibly aggressive. There, there's some treatment. So he had two surgeries to remove, um, the mass and radiation and chemo treatments. And, um, within six months wasn't walking. Wow. So yeah. And, and the, the day he had the surgery, uh, which was the day after he had that fateful trip to Panera, um, his doctor told us that he would probably have about 18 months and mm. it was right on the money. 18 wow. months later. Um, two for two docs. Yep. I would, I really don't need three for three. Yeah, <laughs> it's something more positive. Yeah. Um, but all that in the lead up to say that um, 2015 to 2016 was, was really shitty. We lost five family members Wow. in the span of 15 months. So wow. yeah. My mom, two of my mom's three brothers, um, her eldest brother is still, still with us, um, both my parents, and then my mom's um, best friend, her daughter. Mm. So it was unreal. Yeah. What was like during that season of life? What yeah. do you feel like, if you can remember, what kind of helped you get through the day to day? What was it like for you? Uh, it was definitely a bit of survival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was in grad school when, when both of my parents, um, were, you know, where I diagnosed as like terminally ill. Um, yeah. and so my sister and I went into how do we attack this mode? And thankfully from the very beginning I had, um, so a, a, a therapist who I'd seen for years yeah. said to me, we were looking at sort of how to patchwork my mom's care. So my mom mm. had been going for about a year at that point to adult daycare, which was a godsend. I'm sure. Yeah. And we had to convince my dad, like it took my dad a really long time for for him to be okay with her going. And it was just because mm. he felt like he he needed to be the warrior, right? Mm. Like he needed to, to be her everything. Right. Um, and we were like, you know, five hours a day, it's going to do you both a lot of good. Right. <laughs> um, and... So we were looking at sort of patchworking her care of like, okay, this friend could come watch and my sister will take off this day and I'll take off that day. And and my therapist was great and said to me, Kate, this is this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Mm. So we quickly got um, 
an aide in for my mom. Good. And uh, we had my, my dad didn't come home. He had to go to rehab for a period of, of time. And then we brought him home. So all of this happened in February. And then probably April, we brought him home. And by June, we realized um, it was not going to help my dad's health to have my mom and my dad living together. Mm, um, yeah. Because Just my mom, the stress. Or... The, yeah, the stress and my mom still not being able to process all that was happening. Um, yeah. I will. I remember within that first week, we were interviewing aides and we had a company at our house, uh, two people, I think it was one of the aides and a, um, a manager person. And my sister had gone to pick up my mom from daycare and I was starting the interview and things were different. My dad wasn't home. Mm-hmm. My mom knew something was, was amiss. And she comes into the house and there's two strange people and she just starts crying mm-hmm. and yelling, which was not her MO. Uh, sure. We lucked out because Alzheimer's certainly can change people's personalities. My mom was still a, a fairly um, pleasant and, and happy person. Um, we didn't yeah. have like massive mood swings, but that was the one time that she got really, really angry and my poor sister got really upset. So I basically mm. like stopped at the interview, was like, could you please excuse me? Got like mm. my mom settled and then went and like, you know, hugged my sister and, and yeah. worked with that. Um, but yeah, so then we had my mom in. Um, uh, a nursing home nearby starting in June. And then we had an aide for my dad mm. and then he moved into nursing home care that September. And mm. then in the following January, we moved them to a, to a new nursing home because the old one had been sold and the care just was atrocious. But gotcha. the most amazing thing was that second nursing home was like family. Um, yeah. And I say that because it's just, you know, I don't feel like you get to say that that often with end of life. Yeah. Care. yeah. Um, and to this day, like, I, I can't think about all of the, the different people and not smile and be and be happy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, my sister and I still keep in touch with the with the owners. Oh. And it, it was family run. So it was only 26 beds. Um, oh. Yeah. Wow. I love that. What about it made it such like a. Uh you know, community-like experience? Like what about it was really uh, helpful for you? They did such a great job of just like, you didn't have this sterile feeling like you were in a nursing Mm. home. Even from the outside, it almost looks like a house. Um, And just the care that people gave because there was only 26 beds, um, they knew everyone's name. They knew their favorite color and their favorite food, which seems like such a small no. no, but it is so significant when you are, you know, sitting in a chair all day long. Mm. Um, and they loved my parents so fiercely. Um, so my dad, ironically, passed before my mom mm. um, in this 11 months of difference. And they, the, I think there was just something so special about them caring for my dad in his last moments. Yeah. And I really do feel like so many of them felt um, that it was an honor to also care for my mom. Yeah. Which sounds yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And, and we were also incredibly blessed to be able to make those decisions about care at the end of life. Um, mm. I will use this maybe as like a soapbox moment because I've talked to all of my 
close friends about it who have, mm-hmm. um, you know, parents are obviously older. Um, right. My dad had lucked out and I can't remember if it was um, purchased through his, his job or on his own, but he had long-term health care insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And oh my God, just to be able to make these decisions, not just based on money w- was yeah. so helpful for my sister and I. Mm. So yeah. yeah, made like a big difference and kind oh, of took yeah. a little bit of the, the stress yeah. off. And the only reason that we knew of this nursing home was because my dad had been going to a caregiver support group wow. there for about three or four years. Yeah. So he also knew, so the, it's a family run place and it's a brother and sister team. The brother is um, a nurse and he was the one running the support group. So he knew my dad for, for yeah. years before. Yeah. So it was like a yeah. very personal, very yeah. um, specific experience for them to be able to connect in that way. And for you to have oh, that totally. support and that care around you, yeah. that sounds like in that season, that Definitely. must have been like gold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and my sister until, um, a few months ago with COVID and everything was going once a week. Um, she would bring her cats Aww. for pet therapy, uh, for the residents and, and it's wonderful. I, I had struggled with going back because there's just so many yeah. memories of my parents, even if they're good, it's hard. Um, but I, I will never forget, um, the man, Sean, who's one of the aides there, um, was actually with my dad mm-hmm. when he passed. And I kind of believe that there's some mm-hmm. level of choice that people have with in, yeah. in who they're with yeah. when they pass on. I'm sure that's not for everyone, but I don't think my dad was comfortable placing yeah. that on my sister or I. Um, yeah. And my sister was with my mom. Um, died, which mm. I think was was beautiful. But so Sean was with my mom, and and my dad just loved mm. Sean, and Sean loved my dad, and he was just this great guy. And I remember coming home from work. So at, at some point, my so when my dad died, I I had finished graduate school, and then waited a few months, was dealing with just all this like massive amounts mm. of paperwork yeah. and the business of death. We were working on selling their house; it was crazy. And I landed a job and was there for six months before my mom died. Um, but I remember I would leave work early and take the train and, and the nursing home was right off the train line, um, different yeah. part of New Jersey. And I was going to see my mom. It was an exhausting day. And, and I run into Sean and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. How are you? He's like, oh, how's the job? I was like, you know, I really like it. I'm just, it's, it's a lot right now and I'm tiring. And he just looks at me and he goes, Kate, I hope you know how proud mm. your dad would be of you and how he's mm. shining down on you. And like, <laughs> Thank you, and immediately yeah, you're like, the restroom okay, to I'll sob. Hold it together for this moment, and that's about all I have. <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to go see my mom sobbing. Um, but like just that that beauty and that that deep relational connection is just uh, just something I'm always yeah. going to be so grateful and for. For you growing up, did you grow up Catholic, or what was sort of like religion and spirituality like in your house? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. So I grew up Catholic, and I will always sort of <laughs> refer to myself lately as um, yeah a liberal practicing Catholic. So, um, and I, it's so interesting. I think I do that because it's important for me to to share with others that I do question, and I yeah. think it's important to question. And I actually think my yeah. faith encourages it. 
um, even though I don't think all aspects sure. of Catholicism celebrate it. Um, like I have friends uh, from college and we almost every week on a Sunday mm. we'll watch mass together. And mm. it's so beautiful because two of them have kids, toddlers. And so the toddlers oh, have gotten that. to know each other. <laughs> so we like connect and it, it's just, it's been a great way to sort of force routine mm. in these really uncertain times. Um, but yeah, I grew up Catholic and I went to Catholic school K yeah, through yeah. college. <laughs> So yeah, pretty much all I've known, but I've also always been really interested in, yeah. in other religions. Um, I've just, I find it so, so fascinating yeah. and I love learning. Um, so I've been lucky to be able to, to have those points in my life where I've been able to, to learn more and, and to reflect. And I feel like I'm always still, still learning and, yeah, and wanting for sure. to, get to know do you, more. Do you feel like during that time when both of your parents were sick, um, like what was your religious or spiritual development like, uh, when all of that was happening? Yeah, I feel like so much of my life at that time was definitely, well, it's like you're, like you said, you're in survival. So it's like everything kind of gets pushed. Yeah. I mean, we literally, yeah, my sister and I literally went into like, how do we, take care of our parents. So even though, you know, they might've been in a nursing home or AIDS, we were, one of us was there almost every single day for hours on end and um, just managing their care. And even if they were, so when they were at the the other nursing home, it was big and a very big institution. It was like constantly knocking on someone's door to make mm-hmm. sure they were getting their PT or their medication. Or um, I was always fighting with insurance companies and, right. and medical device companies. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, it's like sure. all such a blur and it was definitely survival. And so I think my faith, there was moments where it was supporting me and there were moments where of it course, took the brunt yeah. of my anger. Um, yeah, and where I I still have, have struggles with it. Um, of course, everyone's going to die. It's part of our our dynamic system, yeah. this world that we live in. Um, but it doesn't make it mm. any less painful. Um, the one benefit that I've seen, and I know there's many, but the one that always sort of comes to mind is I do feel like by having a, a faith life and a, a prayer life to some extent, it just made it easy when my parents did pass to know yeah. how to talk yeah. to them still. Um, to know how to feel like they're still connected. I mean, I probably quote unquote talk to them more than I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pray. that's a form of prayer, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree. Um, Cause I think on my worst days, I don't, I'm like, Oh, I don't think about praying. And then on my best days, I actually live yeah. my life as a prayer. Yeah. Um thinking of others and, and caring for this world and not being so right lost in my own little to-do list mm. of what needs to get done. But um, seeing the, the harmony that we can have in this world, even when there's mm. such disunity. Yeah. I love thinking whenever I think about spirituality, I always kind of think of it as like, it's just a connection to things outside of ourself. So whether that is people or nature mm. or God or your spirit guide, like whatever it is, it's just an acknowledgement that there is a, 
a stream that kind of like runs through and connects all of us. And especially in the dying process where maybe somebody is not coherent or they've passed on, you know, I think spirituality can allow us to have that feeling of, um, of connection, like even though that person has passed. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, yeah. And one of the things that's so frustrating to me and where I do find my, my anger of grief popping up and bubbling up at times is the irony of my own story Mm. is it's my mom's story. My mom, her mom passed of Alzheimer's when she was a young woman, single, not married, (laughs) pre-children. Um, and then her father died, um, pretty soon after. Um, and I get so frustrated at times that the one person who could so walk me through this or could just share with me her own life experience is not here to do so. Um, and so I'll, I'll often journal or, or think about that and the frustration of, um, you know, why can't we share these things? We, we share this horrible, weird bond, and yet I can't. Yeah. I can't talk and to you about it. What do you do with that anger, those feelings? Is there a way that you have come to make peace with it? Um, is it just something that you can process? What yeah. does that look like? Yeah, I think it's a it's a, a process as it happens. I think it's um, one of the things that grief has taught me is to be okay with that area Mm. of grayness. Um, I think I was coming to that in different areas of my life, but I think grief has forced me to be much more okay and accepting of um, processes. Like that I can't take a pill or wave a magic wand and say, boom, I'm over that. I'm over that mama and I have these weirdly similar life trajectories or stories and I can't access her to, to talk about it. Um, and I think it's also just creating some space for, for the grief in and of itself, because it comes up Mm. in so many different ways. I'm reading this book by Hope Edelman, and she wrote a book Mm. called Motherless Daughters a bunch of years ago. Um, and in this book, it's called The After Grief. And what she's trying to do is name that period of time after Mm. the acute grief, after the, the immediate loss. And I don't know if I identify mm. with, with that term, but I am so grateful for her work and mm. for trying to name it. Because um, just even today, I was chatting with friends. Um, we were all texting about our own stresses of what's happening in the holiday season and where are we going and right. is it safe to see family? Uh, and my best friend has two toddlers and she's so not sure what the right thing to do is and also trying to not lose Mm. it in front of her children and also trying to, you know, make sure they have a stellar holiday because she's so sad of of just where the world is for them. And so she's very focused on the holidays. And I said, you know, I think for me, since my parents have died, like, they're not quite (laughs) something to get through, but they're much more on that (laughs) spectrum than they are This big, wonderful, beautiful celebration of always like, where am I going? Who am I seeing? People, you know, will I be invited to? So, um, and to me that, that all packages Mm. in with, 
with grief. Yeah, it's a definitely a continuous process. I know that we've talked about my mom um, is also terminally ill and she's kind of been in a sort of uh, stable place for the last five years. They thought that she would die within eight months of her diagnosis, but she is still alive um, and, you know, hasn't gotten worse, hasn't gotten better. She's just sort of in this space. And I often think about that when I'm talking with people, I'm like, it's, you have to learn how to grieve open, like with an open heart. Cause it's like, (laughs) you're like the person isn't, hasn't passed on yet. So like, that's a different type of grief. But then there's also the grief of like, life looks different now. And then there's the grief of like holding your breath and kind of watching this person, you know, deteriorate in front of you. Like grief has so many layers to it. It's not just, yeah, the person passed and now we're dealing with it. It's sort of this like ongoing continuous thing. And I, yeah, I love that idea of, of after grief because grief also has, um, so many branches, like, just like you're saying, like, you're like, where do I go for the holidays? And like, should I start like buying a house? And like, what do I do like with my own will eventually? Like there's all these different things that are are a part of loss and a part of uh, accepting that things change and go away. And again, like for myself as well, that, that grayness has become so handy because if I'm not so tightly wound around these things that I feel like should or should not be doesn't mean that I'm not angry or upset or sad or whatever but if I'm not so tightly wound with these wound with these things there's there's space for other things to come through um and whether that's like you were talking about the moment in you know the kitchen with your mom where you're joking about her forgetting how many years she's been married or like yeah or the moment with Sean where like you know you have this like moment where he passes on this you know this sort of like compassionate response to you from from your dad like all of these moments are are both heartbreaking and also like can be filling um and it's a both and it's like not an either or Oh yeah. The both and, and something else that I like to use a lot too, is the both things can be true, right? Yeah. Both. But I love what you've said about the, the grayness is, is handy. And I think Mm. when we turn to it as a tool is helpful. And for me, it's, it's the, it's exactly this idea of the both and it, it can both suck and have some redeeming qualities to it. Yeah. Like I said, um, someone I was, I was dating say to me at one point, like, won't it be beautiful for me to meet your parents through you? Mm. And my initial reaction was no, <laughs> you know, like this, like really. And I'm like, I think you just like, like gave this like beautiful hallmark moment. And I don't want to like cry out like you know shit all over it but I'm gonna for a second because hold on like yes of course it's nice and that's beautiful and that's very like saccharine sweet and it can also be genuine yeah could you also give me an inch of like this is also really shitty yes and like both of these things can be true and I remember recounting this to two of my good friends who gratefully haven't experienced a loss um of of a parent 
and they've experienced other losses. And they were they both immediately jumped in with oh and I was like no no <laughs> you're doing it again <laughs> yes I I yeah I because I hear you too it's like there's elements of anticipatory grief too of like you know mm-hmm. in the future will be different um with your mom and you also have to mourn what what isn't the same right now and yeah. with my mom going through Alzheimer's there were so many of those moments of kind of like constant grief for eight years um there's the grief when you are so frustrated with yourself Mm. because you're saying for the third time yes we're going outside and no Mm. you don't need a jacket and Mm. like there there's the complete obnoxiousness of I feel terrible because I'm getting short with my mom but she Mm. can't help it because of her reduced faculties and rapidly you get it but those moments are so emotionally charged But I remember the hardest moment for, I think, my mom and and my dad and my sister was when my mom stopped driving. Um, Mm. That was like a traumatic moment for me because I was the only one saying my mom shouldn't drive. Yeah. Dad and my sister were saying she should. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's always hard. Yeah. Oh, it was was rough. It was contentious. Um, But one of the other times that I remember for me with grief was... Um, my mom going to daycare and they would do some great crafts and she came home with one and it was something she had drawn and her handwriting had changed. Mm, Yeah. And my mom had the most beautiful print. Um, She was the best with handwriting in in our entire family. And I remember staring at it like, what? Mm. And for a little bit more salt in the wound, they were writing um, part of the song, You Are My Sunshine, which is what my mom would sing to us as a kid, Mm. as a lullaby. And so she wrote, You Are My Sunshine, and and in this handwriting that I almost didn't recognize. Mm. It's a real fuck you, huh? Oh, totally. (laughs) Like, (laughs) all right, let's rip my heart right out. Yeah, Yeah, that's so tough. Yeah, but I, and I feel for you because it's that, the anticipatory grief can sometimes be just just as worse, if not, than the after fact grief. Yeah, I remember when my mom was first diagnosed. I was like, one of the things I just remember because you know we thought, you know, we thought she was going to die within the year. I just remember thinking, like, one everything hurts. Mm. Like I just remember being like, everything hurts all the time, and two, I remember thinking. Nobody tells you that grief is really destructive. Like, I just remember that, yeah, like, just as as you've described, like, so many arguments, so many, like, tense moments, yeah, so many just, like, not-so-compassionate moments, right? Like, we often get sort of the tail end of grief from, like, our loved ones or um, if we're not directly experiencing it, or like even in difficult situations that are filled with suffering, we kind of get like the after effects. So it's like, oh, I went through this really hard time, but here's everything that I learned and how like it shaped me as a person. And yeah, like, we don't get that like, oh yeah, for about three months, I like cried myself to sleep every night and yelled at my mom. Like, <laughs> and wasn't sure I was gonna make it through. Right, right. Like you know, like cars. Yeah, like I remember like screaming at my sister one day and like making her cry and I was like, 
wow, like <laughs> I did not realize, like nobody told me that grief like tears your family apart, tears your family apart. Yes. Um, I, remember, I remember saying to people in the big, in, in like the middle of it, you could have like the best family dynamic and my family is not and we had a family dynamic but I would not like even put us to like this high beautiful level all you need is like one little crack Mm -hmm. and like it's gonna uh, one problem is gonna explode all those little slivers of cracks in the foundation already yeah yeah and same thing like I remember people being like oh like I'll pray for your mom like or like don't worry things are gonna be okay and I'd be like but they're not like right. oh. you do realize they're actually not going to be okay. Like she is going to die. Like this is not like a situation where there's some like wiggle room or no. like, things could change. The platitudes are sometimes the worst because and that and that's something I've really struggled with. So losing my parents young. Now granted I was yeah. in my twenties when they were sick, so it wasn't, you know, super young, but younger than most young. people. Young, yeah. I didn't have peers to go through it with. Um, fortunately for my own personal growth and incredibly unfortunately for my dear cousin, um, I have a cousin who's like a quasi sister mother, um, because she's older than me. And, um, unfortunately her mom had died of MS. It's going to be 25 years next year, which I can't even imagine, but she went through this in her twenties. Um, so she she was really helpful in a lot of, of guiding ways, but really that was the only other person I knew in a very direct way who had experienced something like this. And yeah. just the people, I mean, I used to run a, a running list of people say the stupidest shit when your parent is sick. Yes. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, could you give me a break? And also just the, it's really hard because I have compassion for people for people not knowing what to do or what to say but right. in right. those moments that was the last thing I could do was like handle your emotional confusion yeah. around that. I remember didn't you say like I feel like I remember you you saying that you're like somebody said something really inappropriate at your mom's funeral I'm sure oh, many people said inappropriate so things but I feel yeah. like I remember you specifically talking <laughs> about one <laughs> yeah I mean I had I had a relative who once came over and um said Oh, thanks for getting dressed up today to my mom because she was wearing like a like an Oxford button down shirt and like track pants, so like totally mismatched. Oh, um, like somewhat early on, and my mom just had these horrible stomach aches that, yeah, as we went along with the Alzheimer's, we figured was probably anxiety that she couldn't articulate. Mm. Um, but we, oh, there's so many. I, I, one old church lady, lady come up to me and say, um, your hair used to be so much more vibrant when you were oh, a kid. God. <laughs> You're like, great. I have a parent in that casket over there, but thanks. <laughs> what oh, level of L'Oreal should I use next? <laughs> I mean, we also had the priest. I will never forget this. Like the priest at my mom's funeral said something like, um, he made a joke about how my mom would go to communion more than once because she'd get confused. Mm-hmm. And there's a nice way to make that inference, mm-hmm. but it was really cutting and rude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thankfully, I've forgotten most of it, but I remember just sitting there going, Really? You're like, the fuck? <laughs> like, could you kick us while we're down anymore? Yeah. So. I mean, mm-hmm. so I know we teased to this, but this kind of maybe feels like a good a good way to 
to come full circle, um, the story about when we when we buried my mom. Yeah. What I ended up needing to do. So um, my boyfriend at the time had just moved in like literally three weeks beforehand and wow. everything was going terribly. I, my sister um, went to, to Europe and I also just want to say, we struggled, my sister and I, like we were mm. so great at getting so much done, but it was really, really hard for us. And I am so lucky and so blessed that we came out stronger, yeah. um, put a lot of work behind that. Um, and so I really struggled with her going on this volunteer trip to Europe while our mom was in the hospital and pretty certainly going to die. Um, and it was a real moment of growth for us, for me to be able to say, Hey, I love you. Really unhappy that you're making this choice and leaving me with all of this. Right. But it will be okay. Right. Um, and her saying, I love you. And I need to go on this trip. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so my sister's away on this trip. A car, or uh, not a car, a tree falls on my car and shatters my complete back window. My wow. mom's in the hospital, not like just getting worse, not getting any better. My boyfriend of like four years has just moved in and my team has flown in for like an extended retreat at work. Mm. <laughs> and like all this is happening. So... My sister gets home and about like three days later, my mom actually passes. And wow. uh, while I'm pulling together all of her uh, stuff for, for the services and, and my sister and I are coordinating with all our family members, my mom's best friend calls me to tell me that her um, daughter out of nowhere was struck and, and hit by a car and just didn't make it. Yeah. All of this craziness is going on and I'm given like, four days of, of grief time mm. at work. And so I take all four and nothing more. And mm. we get through the service and the wake and it was in the same exact room. It was 11 months prior for my dad and most of the same people come. Um, and we have it at the same church, the same funeral, and we have the same repast lunch at the same place. Mm. Um, we're like, why reinvent the wheel and make it difficult for ourselves? <laughs> We get back to to our apartment and I'm thinking I'm just going to want to like curl up and like be under a, a ball, yeah. a blanket. Yeah. And my boyfriend's expecting that. And I just look at him and I said, I, I need to feel alive. Yeah. Like, I, I need to do something right now. Mm. And quickly we come up with this idea of let's go to one of those trampoline parks. And it was a Friday in the middle of the summer and we called a mutual friend who was around and we just jumped for I love two it. and a half hours and threw ourselves into a ball, like a foam pit. And I laughed until I cried. Um, That's amazing. And then I really cried. <laughs> <laughs> it like turned into an actual crying fest, yeah. as it, it often does. Yeah, it was like so much death had been with me and for so long. And mm. I was still, of course, incredibly sad and nowhere near over the grieving process, but I needed to be reminded that I was still alive. Yeah. Um, and that, that gets us back to the both end, right? Like I can mm. be sad and experiencing this death um, and this ending of, of human relationships here on this earth. And I can also still feel like I need to remind myself that I have to go on and I can go mm. on. Yeah. Yeah. And those moments are like, to me, 
those are holy moments. Oh, yeah. That that absolutely was a moment of grace and holiness completely. Yeah, I love that. And, I, you know, that's such a actually beautiful way to end our, our <laughs> yeah. podcast today, really full circle. Yeah. Um, but Kate, thank you so much for being here, for sharing. I know that, um, you know, I, I really am honored and privileged to have been able to sit with you today and hear a little bit of your story. And I'll really look forward to hearing your stand up um, <laughs> about dating, you. you know, dating your mom. Um, <laughs> just and, a teaser. Yeah. And just like, you know, I one of the reasons I really wanted to be your friend is because I think that you have this, it's like an insatiable joy. Like, but it's not, you know how like when you meet someone and they're really like positive and joyful and you kind of want to punch them in the face? (laughs) It's not that. (laughs) Like your joy is like very authentic and it's tenacious and it's infectious and it's real. And I think that that is a really rare quality to find in people. Um, it's really rare to find that. And it's really, it's hard to cultivate that and and to, um, to not go to sleep. Like, I think you're somebody who has really chosen not to go to sleep. And, and like you said, to stay very much alive and awake um, and, and to press forward. And of course, you had like seasons and moments of, of the darkness and... You know, I think that's all part of the same spear, you know, yeah. like there's light and darkness exist hand in hand. Um, so I'm really glad that I I met you and I've had the, the joy of getting to know you over the last year. Well, thank you so much. That is just so incredibly kind. Thank you for chasing me down um, to be my- You got it, girl. And, and thank you for letting me share my story and, and hear more of yours too. Thanks, Kate. All right. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Open Hands is produced, hosted, and edited by Sarah Nickerson. Theme music is by Sleeping at Last. You can find Open Hands on Instagram at Open Hands Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and be well.